0: Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your word and that, Lord, even today we would do this. We would pray for one another. Lord, that we would move forward towards each other and most importantly, Lord, towards you. Father, please give us a vision of the God you are. Help us to see you as you are, so that we seek you as you are. Please, Lord, we pray you do this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees, says. So this is a, there is great controversy around this section of Scripture, but there's no controversy, at least there shouldn't be any controversy, about how great our God is and how willing he is to answer prayer. There should be no controversy in that. In fact, it's interesting because when Paul talks about how a person gets saved, Paul talks about this in, in, in Romans chapter 10. And, and he quotes an Old Testament verse and he says, All who call upon the name of the Lord will not be ashamed. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be ashamed. And, and it's just Paul saying in Romans 10 that, that this calling out prayer is the activity of those who are saved, of those who have saving faith, of those who know their God. Prayer is the activity. And we've been talking a lot in this one other series about how God wants to show himself as we minister one to another. As we do the things that God calls all believers to do, as we move toward one another in these different ways, God wants to show himself both to us as we do the ministry and as we receive the ministry from others. And so what we really want to talk about today is we want to talk about how important it is that praying for one another, specifically when we're in person, that praying for one another is about us encouraging people to put their faith in the God of Scripture, to trust the God that we're praying to. So we want to talk about that God. We want to talk about the God that we pray to and what does it look like for us to pray as a church family. So let's get into it together. The first thing we want to know about God, and I think James is trying to make this point, It's something that maybe we we over, maybe we assume so much we forget that it's there, but I think James wants us to see that the God we're praying to is the God of every circumstance, no matter what we're going through. When he says, In verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. He's wanting us to remember that we serve a God who helps us in our suffering. God's not just kind of standing back and kind of going, sucks for you. God is not standing back and saying, gee, I wish there was something I could do. I do feel for you. God has made himself available. And it's interesting here, in these, these little commands or in these questions, is anyone among you suffering? Let him praise. Anyone cheerful? Even down where he says, is anyone sick? The idea here is it's implying there's a personal responsibility to seek for help. What state are you in right now? What circumstance are you in right now? Are you in a season where you're feeling just some overwhelming suffering? God says, well, okay, let's pray. Come pray to me. Are you in a place where there's real blessings, like you're experiencing some really good stuff in your life? God says, okay, then thank me for that. The, the reason is, listen, because he's not just the God who helps us in our suffering. He's also the God who gives us every good gift. See, what we have to understand is when we pray, we're not trying to overcome God's reluctance. We're, trying to, to, we're coming to him as a God who is so willing to help. This is what Jesus qualifies us for. Through his death and through his resurrection, Christ has made a way that we can come boldly to God. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 4.16. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that, may we, re- that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You notice he didn't say, come to the throne of power or the throne of wisdom, though obviously God is both of those things. But the throne of grace, the throne of mercy. Because what we often need more than anything is just knowing there's a God who has graciously and mercifully said, you are mine and you can come to me because of what Jesus has done. The thing that we lack more than anything when it comes to prayer is a confidence that we have a right to stand before our Creator and ask Him to help us. We struggle with that. You know why? Because we know we're sinners. But this is why it's so important for us to remember who we are in Christ, what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. To be reluctant to approach God... And to profess Christ is to believe that Christ is less than he said he was. We need to be those who are willing to say, God, I need help. Here it is. But also we need to be the ones that are willing to go back and say, God, thank you for this good thing in my life. You know why? Because the Bible teaches us that he is the giver of every good gift. All praise, any song you sing, any thanksgiving you give, comes in response to what you've already been given. It's a fact. So, so, so the, the, the truth is, true praise is always something that's appropriate. Because every one of us has something good already in our lives. If nothing more than just God, thank you that you're there. The Bible says this plainly. In fact, James said this plainly. In James chapter 1, he says, For every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation Or shadow due to change. And the reason he says that is to make us know, listen, the good gifts that you're experiencing, they come from a good God, and that good God is always good. He never changes. He's the God of every circumstance. And we're going to get into the God who heals, and this might be the, this is the part where it gets a little controversial, but also maybe it feels most appropriate for the situations we find ourselves in right now as a church family. But it's important, I think, before we go there to remember that he is indeed the God of every circumstance, not just the toughest ones. That God is always there. God has has sent his only begotten son so that we might have a real relationship with him where we communicate to him, we depend on him, we engage with him, and we do that together. In fact, maybe it's tempting to not talk about your sufferings or your difficulties right now because you're thinking, well, mine aren't as bad as the Howards or the Hows. And maybe in one sense they're not, but they're still important to the Lord and they're still important to his people. Or maybe you're in a place where like, gosh, I don't want to put salt in the wound and celebrate the the good things that I'm going through because so many people are going through bad things. Well, that's, that's good. It's good to be sensitive, but hey, let's give thanks to God for the good things. We need good news. Going to see uh, Alan and Lindsay this week, I was so encouraged. I mean, praise the Lord, we're so thankful. It's really a, it really is a miracle that, that Nathaniel is on the mend. They really didn't think he'd make it even from the accident site to the hospital. So the fact that he's beginning to breathe on his own is a miracle. We're just so thankful to Jesus for doing this. And as encouraging that is, we know it's a long, long road to go for them as it is for the Hubbards with Esther. But what was encouraging to me, and I think to Sarah as well, as we sat there with Ellen Lindsay, was just to hear them celebrating how good God is. Was to hear already the things that God was teaching them through this affirming in their hearts. It was so encouraging to me, and I'm so glad they shared that because, man, that made me want to seek that God even more. We need to be these kind of people that see God as a God of every circumstance, even when maybe we feel like our circumstances don't merit God's attention. God has said, in Christ, I'm available to you. So he's the God who helps us in our suffering. He's the God who gives us every good gift, and he's also the God who heals us. What does James say? 14 and 15. Let's look at it again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I want to say something here that's really important. We, We noticed in the beginning, is anyone... Uh, suffering is anyone. We talked about how this kind of implies a personal responsibility for seeking help. But also notice he says, among you. So the idea that James is saying here is is in your local congregation, and mentioning elders also means in your local congregation, where are the needs? Where is the place to praise? You know, one of the coolest things about the situation uh, with uh, with both the Hubbards and the House is to see God's people around the world, literally around the world, praying for this. It's been really encouraging to know that the body of Christ, reminded the body of Christ is huge and just doing these great things. So I don't want to downplay that. But sometimes, listen, sometimes we can be so wanting to hear praise reports about something big way over there, or want to concentrate in prayer about something huge way over there, that we forget that God calls us first and foremost to experience him here, now, with one another. The whole, it's the whole purpose of this, this series has been to reboot in our hearts the necessity of committed fellowship. We need this, desperately. God wants to specifically show himself through the local church. That doesn't mean that the, the, the global church isn't glorious. It is, and it's great to know about the global church. It keeps your focus on Jesus as well, instead of on your particular lifestyle and church style. But the point is that, that he's saying, ask the elders to come forth. There's something local church priority happening here. Now also, here, here's the thing. When it comes to what he's asking specifically, someone's sick, call for the elders, then the elders anoint him with oil. They pray in the name of Jesus. And he makes a pretty bold statement, doesn't he, in verse 14. He says, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. In verse 15 he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, now here's, here's uh, I'm going to make some basic statements. And this is where it gets controversial. Because rather than kind of give you the whole debate about these verses, I'm going to just tell you what I believe these verses mean. And then we can talk about it afterwards. Because what I don't want to do is get so distracted in the debate that we stop seeking God in faith. Okay? So when he talks about here, you know, about it's the elders who pray and about anointing with oil, I have here a little jar of anointing oil that that I will use often on people when they ask for prayer as an elder. So we do use this, do take it at face value. But the reality is, whether the oil is meant to only be a representative of the Holy Spirit or the oil is meant to be a representative of doing medicinal care, either of those ways that it could work, the, the, the reality is, listen, this is not meant to be a formula. It's not meant to be a formula that ends suffering. If we just get people to pray, if we anoint them in oil, if we pray in the name of Jesus, if we do all these things, that'll end suffering. There's no way that fits in James' context. Because if you just go up a few verses in James chapter 5, James says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In other words, they suffered and were patient through suffering, you do the same thing. He should have said, these guys suffered, but they didn't know. You can anoint with oil and pray in Jesus' name and they'd be done. He's not saying a formula. What he's wanting to do, listen, is... He's wanting people to not see a formula. He's wanting the readers to not see a formula that ends suffering, but a call to trust the God who heals. Because this is how God has revealed himself. In Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3, here's what we read. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Notice in Psalms, even, iniquities and and diseases are, are... together. This brings the second thing I think we need to notice. He says in verse 14 right oh sorry in verse 15 he says and if any has committed sins he will be forgiven him. Hmm. In this context he seems to be connecting sin and sickness. Now I've got to be really careful here. In fact let me be super clear. It's neither the Hubbard's nor the Howe's sin that has caused their difficulties. It was not Day's sin that caused his difficulties. The the, the issue here is not so much just about that. But there is, listen, there is still, this is not him saying, here's the reason for every sickness, it's sin. You have unconfessed sin, that's why you're sick. He's not making that point. Jesus was really clear about this in John chapter 9, right? When they see the man born blind. The man's born blind, they say, was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And he says, neither, it's for the glory of God. And then he heals them. So we don't want to get oversimplistic again with this stuff and say, oh man, if you would just confess your sin, you'd be healed. That's not true, it doesn't work that way. But we also listen, don't want to ignore the reality. The reality is, sometimes we remain sick because we are in sin. Now that sounds controversial by itself, but it's really important that we see that this can be the case at times. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, for if any, any, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment himself, that's taking communion in the wrong way. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's what Paul says. It's heavy stuff. Now again, this is not the standard for everyone who's sick. Much sickness happens and it has nothing to do with the person or the parents of the person who's got the sickness or suffering. Okay, But also, there's this other principle that the scripture always connects. That is, listen, the reason sin still ex- or sickness still exists is because sin still exists. And until this new creation is fully renewed, we're going to struggle with both sin and sickness. Are you following me? This is the point that James is trying to make. In fact, it's important for us to see that when, it, when he uses this phrase in verse 15, and the Lord will raise him up, he's, he's, he's giving a double meaning there. It's the idea that, yes, pray in faith and watch God heal. And we are praying for miracles and trusting God that God does miracles in all these situations, that he brings healing. We pray for that. We believe in that. But the idea of the Lord raising up is, has the other meaning of the fact that God literally, Jesus literally will resurrect us all because the idea here is not just a promise of immediate healing. Literally, it's a promise of ultimate healing. And this is, a, this is an important question. Because we have often prayed, many of us have often prayed, Lord, your word says by your stripes we are healed. And so we're praying that you would heal this person in Jesus' name. And the thoughts behind this, and this is where it gets controversial, don't hate me. The thoughts behind this are, when Christ died... His atoning for sin pays for all sickness. That is both true and false. And this is where it gets tricky. You guys have all heard of the term, right? The already and not yet. You guys know what I mean by that? The reality that the kingdom came with Jesus. When Jesus came, the kingdom of God, the kingdom we're meant to pray for, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Anything God says in heaven goes, right? Though we all rebel on earth. So we're praying that that his kingdom would be here. So we're called to pray uh, for that kingdom to be manifest in our lives. But we're also called to wait for the kingdom because the kingdom comes when the king returns. So we're already in the kingdom if we're believers in Jesus, but we're not yet in the kingdom fully until the kingdom comes in its fullness. You guys following me? And this is where the healing comes in. Because the reality is, we pray for healing, and we believe that we are going to be healed because of what Christ has done. But this is how it's going to work. Listen to what it says. Isaiah chapter 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now, it's obvious in Isaiah's context, as well as when this verse is quoted in 1 Peter, that the context is spiritual healing. It's really obvious. You really can't make an argument for physical healing from this. However, here's what Jesus says about when he's about to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So so Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. Does Lazarus die again? Yeah, he does. You know why? That wasn't the ultimate healing. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason I'm saying this is not to discourage us from praying for immediate healing. We've seen God heal supernaturally. We've also seen God not heal. And, I, and I'll tell you, here's what's really important too. And this is, again, I'm going to be real personal here. Verse 15 talks about the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. And we do need to ask God to give us the faith that we need to pray. God, show me how to pray in faith. What can I believe for in this situation? But sometimes we sense that God's going to do something and then he doesn't do it. It's really tough. It's really tough. Paul Dean, you guys know Paul Dean, who's one of our trustees. uh, With his wife, Nicola, runs the ushers team. They're both deacons, lovely Godly people, you guys who have been at servants a long time, know that Paul was married before, and his first wife, Libby, died of cancer. And when we found out that she had cancer, um, she was pregnant with their youngest child, Solomon. He's the the best. We love Solomon. And um, obviously, so she couldn't do anything like chemo or that kind of stuff. And she decided, because she had seen her father... Uh, die from the complications of chemotherapy from a cancer. That she said, "I'm going to just use natural means and trust God to do what He wants to do." And so we were praying for her. We were we were having prayer meetings for her. Church was much smaller then, and and, and I remember telling Sarah one one after Sunday after one Sunday church we had prayed for her. I said, "I, I think the Lord's going to do this. I have a sense that God's going to do supernatural healing." I, really, I just really was, man, this is going to happen. And so we just kept praying. And I was just waiting for her to get the report saying, you're all fine. And she was singing on the worship team. And I remember her skin was really glowing and her, her hair looked really nice. And there was a little bit of bloating from, from stuff going on inside, obviously. But she was looking nice. And we thought, okay, maybe she's going to be okay. And she stayed on the worship team. And the next week she passed. And we were all devastated. And I thought, Lord, I I haven't really had that sense many times that you were going to do something supernatural. But I really felt, as much as I could say that I hear you speak, I felt like you were going to do something I don't understand. I've had a couple other incidences where I've prayed for someone to be healed. I've prayed for people to be healed lots of times. But these were two instances when I really didn't think I was going to do anything. And I just felt like I had to do it because I'm a pastor who's on the spot, being honest here. One was when I was a youth pastor in California and a, a brother in the church, again, the church there was quite small, a brother in the church, raises his hand and says, John, before you preach, can we pray for me? Because I was at the doctor last week and I have a tumor in this lung. Can we pray for me? Everyone's like, yes, let's pray. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This is where the rubber hits the road. I have to believe. So I went and I prayed for this brother with really zero faith. Pastor was on holiday. Otherwise, I would have said, Pete, can you come please pray? <laughs> and I prayed with no faith. And I, and I was weighed down by that that week. Oh, I just don't I, don't. I know you can heal, but are you really? And next week, I'm preaching again. Same guy raises his hand. John! I'm like, oh no. Yes, yes, brother. We'll pray for you again. Oh, I want to praise. Went back to the doctor. Tumor's gone. Now, now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about medicine. I don't know how this stuff works. And I'll tell you, though, I do believe God did something there that had nothing to do with me. My point is this. Listen. We're seeking the God who heals. We're not necessarily seeking just the healing. My conviction is that when the Bible talks about gifts of healing in the book of 1 Corinthians, my conviction is that gifts of healing aren't the same as gifts of teaching. So I have a gift of teaching, and I can obviously use that in the flesh. I can use that in a way that doesn't glorify God. But I have that gift all the time. That's a gift I have. But my conviction is that gifts of healing are more like you pray for healing, and God might bring a gift of healing. That's my conviction. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just saying that's my conviction. And I believe that God does this and that we should pray for this. But our faith can't be in, I have the gift of healing, in my mind. The prayer has to be, or the faith has to be, in the God who heals because he does. One of the things that we've been really rejoicing in as we were praying is giving thanks for all the doctors and the consultants and the nurses and how great they've been and how thoughtful they've been, praying for them to have wisdom and details. Is it because we don't think God can just kind of say the word and heal them? No, it's just the opposite. God, you can say the word to heal them, or you can say the word and give these guys the wisdom to heal them, however you want to do it. You're the God who heals. This is the God we pray to This brings us to the next thing about God that we need to understand. He's the God who uses prayer. Now, I have a super strong conviction about the sovereignty of God. So when I talk about God ruling over all, God being in control of all things, I don't mean he causes all things, but I mean he allows everything, good and bad, in our lives. Again, I know a lot of Christians would not agree with that. But that's the God I see in the scripture. Sovereign God. And here's the thing. Sometimes knowing that God's sovereign, there's a temptation to go, well, Lord, just sort things out, you know. Do what's best. And I can find myself praying as if I'm praying to fate. An impersonal God who's going to do whatever, Was just a force and does whatever he wants. That's not the God of the Bible. So that when God calls us, when Jesus calls us to be expected in prayer, it's because God uses prayer to bring about his sovereign will. To do radical things. God uses prayer, notice verse 16, to encourage one another towards repentance. Towards turning back to God. What does he say verse 16? Notice, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Isn't it interesting when he talks about the prayer of faith for the sick person will save them, but the, the prayer of forgiveness will heal them. See how he uses those interchangeably? Interesting, isn't it? But, he, but here's the reality. God wants us to turn to him instead of turning to the idols that we normally turn to. Now, I doubt anybody here has a little statue in their, in their room that they kind of rub the belly and light some incense. and. I, I doubt that any of us here do that. But we all have idols that we turn to. I need rest. Click. Turn on the one-eyed God that sits in your lounge. Click, 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 click. Man, there's nothing good on Two hours later, click, 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 click. click. <coughs> now it's convenient. It just fit in your pocket. little s- scroll, scroll, scroll. So stupid. Two hours later, scroll, scroll. Because we think in this we'll find rest. But there's no rest outside of our God. And when we turn to those things, you know what we're turning to? An idol. And God, this is what repentance is. Repentance is, God, I'm going to turn to you instead of the idol. That's repentance. We think repentance is, turn off the TV, put down your phone. That's fruit of repentance. But repentance is, God, I'm looking to you for rest. I need you. That pint at the pub isn't going to solve my problems. That little toke, it's only class C now. That's not going to solve my problems. Having a sexual rendezvous is not going to solve my problems. You and you alone are the God who can help. I don't need to seek to you. I need to pray to you. Now, now, here's the reality. And this is going to fit with our last point that we'll get to in just a minute. But the reality is there's this great power when we pray together, when we turn to God together, when we confess our sins one to another now, obviously, there's, everybody says this like it's so obvious, and it is so obvious, but to me, it's an excuse sometimes. But it's obvious that we're not going to share things that are inappropriate, right? You know, brothers, you're struggling with porn. You're not going to go to some, you know, sister you just met and say, could you pray for me? I have a porn problem. That's probably just not going to make her feel very comfortable. You're not going to do that, are you? Common sense. But shouldn't we be the kind of people that there's nothing out of bounds For us to confess? Because we want there to be a real turning to God? And shouldn't we be the kind of people that will say, let's pray because we believe God can deliver anybody from any sin? That God is greater than any idol? This is what Jesus says. Listen, this is in the context of restoring someone that's um, wandered from the faith. Matthew chapter 18, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Everybody loves the quote, the second part of that that verse 20 there, to say, I don't need to go to church, I just need to be with two or three people. (laughs) Why would you... Limit your fellowship to two or three people when you can be with a whole bunch more who will conf- you can confess your sins to and they can be prayed for and you can pray for them and hear where they're struggling and support them. Why would you not want that? Jesus is not saying limit your fellowship to a small group. He's saying, he's saying listen, I'm in the midst of you guys coming together and seeking the face of my Father in prayer. I'm into that. This is how we encourage each other to turn. And this, listen, this is for regular believers. Look what it says in verse seventeen, right? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You guys remember who Elijah was? You can read about this, and I think it starts in about one Kings sixteen and goes through two Kings chapter one, something along that line. Do you read about Elijah? If you read about Elijah, you're going, "That I am not like an Elijah. That did that dude did some gnarly things, man." The only person to do more miracles in the Old Testament than Elijah, I guess there was two possibly. One might have been Moses, and the other one was Elisha, his protege. I mean, the miracles that God did through this guy, radical. But interesting here, in talking about prayer, in talking about accessing God, doing radical things, what does he he highlight about Elijah? His nature, and it's just like ours. See, here's the reality. It was not Elijah that was so powerful. It was the God Elijah prayed to. Do you get that? It's not you trying to figure out the formula. It's not you trying to be the little Elijah. It's you seeking the God of Elijah. It's when we seek the God of Elijah that we see God move. In fact, listen Elijah had a unique ministry. We're not going to copy his ministry. We're not going to copy anybody's ministry. We should have our own ministries. Elijah had a unique ministry, but he did not have unique access to God. That is our privilege as Jesus followers. This is the God we seek. Going back to that verse that I quoted earlier, Hebrews 4.16, another great same verse again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that may we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When there's a crisis, my task-oriented self says, i got to do something. Give me something to do that I can put on a list and then cross it off because I'll feel so much better if there's something I can do practically. Anybody relate to that? And sometimes I go, ah, I don't want to do. They'll say, well, just, just pray. Okay, just pray. As if prayer is a small thing. But you know what happens when we pray for one another? The God who did radical things through Elijah does radical things through our prayers. Listen to this. What does he say in verse uh, second part of verse 17 and verse 18, right? He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently. Literally, he prayed for his prayers. He prayed until he prayed. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Those are big things. Listen, God uses prayer to encourage us, to encourage one another towards repentance from regular believers. he He uses prayer from regular believers, and he uses prayer to do big things. We own a building as a church through prayer. It was given to us. God has sustained us through prayer. God continually wants to do stuff as we pray. Why? Because he's this kind of God. He wants to use prayer. Paul says this after teaching on prayer in Ephesians 3, he says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I can ask for some pretty big things, but God can do more. God can do more. Listen. Think about the things that are hindering you right now, things that you, you feel like, this, I can't get past this thing. Could you confess that and get prayer for that? Can you expect God to move when we pray for each other? When I did youth work in the States, the most encouraging thing to me was not having a bunch of 14, 18-year-olds listen to a 45-minute, yes, 45-minute Bible study. That wasn't the most encouraging thing. The most encouraging thing to me was after we, we did the music and the Bible study and kids were playing pool and foosball and eating their junk food and all that kind of stuff, that you would see all around this room, you would see a 15-year-old praying for a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old praying for an 18-year-old. You saw kids going to God to do big things. And you know where that prayer came from? You know what stirred up that prayer? We had seen 40 kids come to faith in Christ in one year. 40 unchurched kids. Radical. Haven't seen anything like that before since. But before those 40 kids came to faith, what had happened was we had seen our youth group grow and grow and grow. I worked part-time for Youth for Christ. I was on the campuses of the different high schools and junior high schools in America in in our area, in our county. And I had all these relationships. And we saw our youth group grow from about 19 kids to about 70 kids. And one of the key, a key, two key kids in that group were this, these kids, Chris and Renee. They, they were fraternal twins, brother and sister. And Chris and Renee had gotten radically saved earlier in the year. I mean, just, these were, these were nice kids. These were pretty popular kids. They were in the band. They were really musical and, and just really nice kids who got radically saved. I mean, so changed did they, their parents then got saved. And Chris and Renee were driving to school, getting ready for the the Christian club that afternoon and lost control of the car, went into a ditch and both died. And you talk about devastation. Not just to a youth group, to a school of 2,500 kids. And I happened to be out of town the day it happened and I was with my mentor and I got the phone call They said, please, it was from the school. This was, these weren't Christian people. This was a a principal in the school, like a head teacher in the school. And they said, Mr. Brown, have you heard the news? And I had just got another phone call here in the news. He said, can you please come to the school right now? And I said, I'm two and a half hours away. Well, can you please send somebody? We don't know how to handle the kids are devastated. So I sent an assistant and he did some ministry. They said, can you come to school tomorrow? I went to the school the next day. And, you know, in America, they have what's called separation of church and state. So you're not allowed to talk about your faith in Jesus as an adult in the public school. But they wanted me to address the entire student body. And they said, would you please talk to them, help them? I said, listen, all I can tell them is what I know. They said, well, you can't, you can't proselytize. You can't call them to the faith. I said, okay, can I talk about my faith? They said, yes. And so I shared the gospel with almost 2,000 people kids that day because these two kids who had gotten radically saved also died. And then what happened is that youth group that we had went from about 70 kids to 120. And we saw 40 kids give their lives to Christ. We saw kids praying for each other because they knew that this God that Chris and Renee knew was real. That he heard and he answered Prayer. And it's interesting, too, because, because we, we lived in this agricultural county, so it's small, full of small little towns and villages spread out about a, over a big area. Our town was the biggest, about 50,000 people. We had kids that were driving 20 minutes any direction to come to our youth group. And a lot of these kids had radically different church, church backgrounds and were of different ethnicities, there was this radical diversity. Does that sound familiar? And it was in, I mean, half the kids that were coming, most of the kids who got saved were the, you guys remember who Marilyn Manson is? Oh, praise God you don't know who he is. He was a a rock star, like a hardcore uh, star, wore crazy makeup and was just really strange looking. Anyway, they would come in this crazy makeup to youth group. And God did this radical work through those kids. Why? Because they believed in a God who hears and answers prayer. They believed that the God and Father of their Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for them, the one that made a way for Chris and Renee to be saved, the one who gave them assurance that when Chris Renee died way too young, they were in glory. Can you imagine who their, their parents were? These were the only kids they had at the time. Lost these twin kids, had just become Christians maybe six months before. You know, they, to this day, this is like 20 years ago almost now, there's a, a Youth for Christ as an award, Student of the Year, and it's, it's called the Chris Renee Award. And their parents present that award every year. Why? Because the, they believe in the God who hears and answers prayer. They sought this God. They had another baby, by the way. <laughs> it's probably a teenager now, again. My point is this listen, my point is when, when James is calling these people to live out. What they know about God and to exercise it through prayer, he wants them to expect God to do big things. Not always happy ending tied up with a bow, but big things. A God who never wastes our pain, a God who captures our tears in a bottle. This is what motivates us to pray for each other. Not getting the formula right. Not getting the words right. Not even having perfect theology. Now, I have perfect theology, but I know you guys don't yet. But I think about the woman who had the flow of blood for for 12 years, and she thought, if I can touch the tassels of Rabbi Jesus' robe, I'll be healed. That's kind of dodgy. That's weird. There's nothing biblical about that. But then God healed her. Why? Because she knew Jesus was the one. What do we believe? And not just when it comes to physical suffering. What about when it comes from the, the, the daily temptation to wander away from Christ? Look at verse 19. This connects to what's going on with Elijah. He's using Elijah as an example. Listen, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, think about what that implies. It implies that anyone can wander and will. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is our nature. Elijah's ministry was during a time when the nation of Israel, God's people, were apostatizing They were giving lip service to God and then worshiping their idols. And God's doing these miracles to call them back to repentance, to call them to turn from the idols, turn back to God, forget the idols, turn back to your God. See, we we serve a God who chastens us when we wander. Again, my personal conviction is once a person is born again of God's Spirit, they can never become unborn again. When God saves a person, he saves them forever. He saves them by supernaturally doing a work of his Holy Spirit. And Jesus says of the New Testament believers that they'll have the Spirit abide with them forever. He does this work. But here's the thing: even those who are born again still wander. Here's the difference between someone who's truly born again and someone who's not. The one who's not born again, the one who doesn't really know God in truth, wanders and doesn't receive any chastening. They're never corrected. They're never convicted. They just wander. The one who belongs to the Lord is chastened. There's a misery to them serving their idols. See, guys, listen, God loves us so much, he chastens us when we wander. And sometimes, you know how he does it? He does it through someone coming up to you and saying, are you okay? I've noticed this, and maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but just I want to make sure you're doing okay. Are you okay? And you realize at that point, you have a chance to be obedient to James, the command in James, I'm going to confess my sin and be prayed for. Because that's what God does to bring us back. Also look at verse 19. I'm almost done. He says, anyone among you who wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whomever whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. We have in recent weeks faced life and death situations with our church family. But do you realize that every week we face life and death situations? Every week we see people who are putting on a facade and not really wanting to walk with Jesus. That's a life and death issue, people. God loves you too much to leave you to yourself. You see, he wants to use us to bring one another back. That's what he wants to do. He wants to use us to bring one another back. This is why we pray. It's interesting, isn't it? That when it comes to bringing people back, Jesus told these three parables in Luke chapter 15, right? The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, which really is the parable of two sons. And the first two parables, he ends the parables by saying this. I'll read the ending of both two parables from Luke 15. Listen. He says, just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then the second one, just so I tell you there, will, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know what this is saying, all of heaven rejoices when we turn back to God. All, all of heaven rejoices when we turn one another back to God. Can you see how all these one another commands are culminating in this? That real fellowship, guys, this is church. This is church when we are together to help each other walk with Jesus to turn from the idols that our hearts make every single day and to say, Jesus, you and you alone are worthy to be trusted and followed. You. That's church, man. We do that as we pray for one another. We believe in a God who saves sinners. He chastens us when we wander, and he uses us to bring one another back. You know what else he does? He'll end with this. He calls us to cover one another with love, look at verse twenty. Not only will you save a soul from death, you will also listen and will cover a multitude of sins. You notice the point on your note says he will. He calls us to cover one another with love. But you think, oh, John, he didn't say love. Come on now, you're adding. You're trying to be syrupy, adding stuff to the text. No, I'm not. He is actually quoting Proverbs chapter ten verse twelve that says this. This is New King James. i reading. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You know what this is? This is not ignoring one another's sins, but loving them away from them. We're not ignoring each other's sins. We're loving each other in the midst of it and saying, let's go back to God together right now. Let's pray right now and seek God right now. We do that when, when, it, when there's a sin to be repented of. We do that when there's a sickness that needs healing. We do that when there's a praise that needs to be celebrated. Let's go to God right now. This is not about us hiding our sin, but hiding it as sinners in our Savior. The scripture says in Colossians 3.3, For you died, that says you died with Christ, to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Then let's pray accordingly.